Well, if you would keep your Bible open or your bulletin open to Psalms 42 and 43. Um, many scholars believe that Psalm 42 and 43 were at, at one point uh, all together, just like we read them this morning. And the reason is, if you'll look at uh, Psalm 42, 5, and uh, if you want, take a pen or pencil and kind of put a bracket around that verse and actually the, the first little bit, the first three words of verse 6. If you look again at verse 11, it says the same thing. So put a, a bracket around that. And then the last verse of Psalm 43, verse 5. Again, is the same refrain. And so that, uh, also Psalm 43 does not have a a title, introductory title to it like Psalm 42 does. And so it makes sense that they go together whether they are, were that way originally and were divided up later or whether they're divided up. They go together. And so uh, a few months ago I preached on Psalm 43, and uh, we're going to focus more on 42 this morning, but you can't have one without the other, really, so just keep that in mind. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for loving us so much that you did not leave us without revelation of who you are and why we need you. Thank you for um, superintending the writing of your story um, and the preserving of it so that we could have it, so that we could know how our little stories fit into your larger story. And we ask this morning as we study it together that you would stir in our hearts uh, a hunger and thirst for Jesus and that then through the preaching of your word and the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that you would satisfy that craving with the Lord Jesus himself, as you have promised you would. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any number of years, uh, you probably know by now that there tend to be various seasons In the Christian life. I remember the first time I was introduced to that concept of of seasons in the Christian life. I was in college and someone somewhere in something I read uh, suggested that just as spring and summer are seasons of dynamic growth and uh, winter is a seemingly dead and dormant season, so there are periods like that in the Christian's walk with God. There are some seasons that that seem to be dynamic, and, and you're growing, and, and things are, are, are great with you and God. And then there are periods when it seems like there's no growth taking place at all, when, when your soul may seem dead or dormant. Um, I was encouraged to learn, and I'm sure that uh, Dr. Nelson could help me if I mess this up, but I think it's generally true. 
<laughs> that uh, trees are not just doing nothing during the winter time. There's something taking place. Uh, perhaps all the, the growth that took place in the spring and the summer is, is kind of being solidified. Um, I've read that the, the roots are resting and getting ready for new periods of growth. So there's, there's something going on in the winter, even when it seems like there's not much going on. Um, and if that's true of trees, then perhaps it's true of us. The Bible likes to use a lot of agricultural, organic illustrations uh, for our life with God. So it's possible then that you and I, like the writer of Psalms 42 and 43, uh, we may experience seasons of vibrant growth, um, like summertime, uh, happy, good, growing times with God. And then there may be seasons when our hearts have seemed to fall into a dormant winter uh, deadness. Well, God's not surprised by these seasons. Um, it's one reason why I love the Bible, because it doesn't sugarcoat life. It's real. God gave us psalms like this so that we could know that, yeah, this, this actually is fairly typical of the Christian life. Um, it's uh, descriptive of what it means to have this treasure that we hold this treasure of knowing Jesus in these jars of clay. Um, but I, I will say, some folks like to use Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 as the biblical antidote to depression. Uh, I think that's a stretch, honestly. I, I don't want to go <laughs> that far. Um, this is not... Uh, these are not meant to solve what we may call clinical depression. We've got plenty of counselors in the room that could help me with this, but um, I, I just I want to shy away from seeming as if we're saying, uh, look, you clinically depressed, take two psalms and call me in the morning. You know, I'm not, uh, this is not what we're trying to say. This is not... Um, a flippant, oh, don't worry, be happy, you know. Um, I, think, I think it is related to what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones calls spiritual depression. It's related to those seasons in your life where it's tough. And, and we saw, as we heard Psalm 42 and 43 read, that this psalm writer is in a bad place, a hard place, a dark place. Um, so be encouraged by the psalms that God takes your seasons seriously. So uh, this would be a little different, I think. And uh, by the end, I want to give you a handout. And so I'll ask a couple of our men if they'll be willing to help me hand these out at the end, but um, a lot of what I'm going to say is going to be in these handouts that I give you, so if you're a note taker, don't worry, you're going to have more notes than you ever dreamed of. 
four pages worth, as a matter of fact. But, but how, do we, how do we deal with these kind of seasons? I want to look at Psalm 42 and 43 and kind of, if I can, show you a, at least one way you can use these psalms to help diagnose what's going on in your soul. Um, so we're going to look at these psalms and, and ask, what, what am I to do when I feel far away from God? When I feel like God is absent? When my soul is cast down or in turmoil or I'm mournful and sad? What, what do I do when I feel attacked or accused or abandoned? Or, or when I sense a hunger and thirst in my soul that can't be satisfied? What, are those feelings there and then, and then what can I do with them? And I think what we're going to see is that the psalmist is leading us by example to first pour out our hearts to our Savior, pour it all out, and then, in the midst of that, preach hope to your soul. So these psalms and, and prayer itself is about truly engaging God and engaging your soul in real conversation, as I've said before. Paul Miller says in his book, A Praying Life, the real you has to meet the real God in order for it to be real prayer. And and these psalms do that well. Notice this pattern in Psalms 42 and 43. Again, grab a pen or a pencil and mark these following sections of verses with two words, either the word lament or the word hope. Look at this real quickly. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 4, the psalmist pours out his heart in lament to God. So you can write lament there. Then in verse 5, he preaches hope to himself. So write hope beside verse 5. Then again, verses 6 through 7, he pours out a lament to God. So write lament. Verse 8, there's hope again in those verses, in that verse. Verses 9 to 10 There's another lament to God. Verse 11, the psalmist preaches hope to himself. And then Psalm 43, verses 1 through 4, is the final lament. And then it ends in verse 5 with the psalmist preaching hope to himself again. So there's this back and forth between lament and hope, lament and hope. And that in itself, that pattern in itself, is a picture of the Christian life. Um, swinging back and forth between lament and hope, sometimes, many times in one day. What is lament? A l- lament is a, is a brutally honest prayer, poured out to God that often includes a complaint, uh, a confession of fear, sadness, anger, an appeal to God's character and or his covenant, or just a cry for deliverance from one's enemies. Uh, Jesus lamented and hoped in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. He was sorrowful and troubled, and he prayed to his Father. So, uh, I want us to look at this. uh, Pouring out our heart to our Savior and then preaching hope to our souls. Um, Pouring out your heart to your Savior, it's... Examining your soul in the presence of God. Three times in these verses, the psalmist 
questions his own soul. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? So I think by example, we, we have good reason to question our souls, to ask ourselves questions. So I'm going to have a lot of questions that you and I can ask our souls. I'm not even going to ask as many as are going to be on this handout that I give you later. But let's start. There's four big questions, and underneath those are a lot of others. Um, and I want to kind of gather these themes from these verses. So keep your eyes on Psalm 42 and 43 as, as I do this. The first big categories, category of questions is to ask your soul is, am I feeling far away from God? In, verse four, in chapter 42, verse 6, the psalmist says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon of Mount Mizar. And then in chapter 43, verse 3, he asked that God would lead him back to Jerusalem, to the temple, to God's holy dwelling. And what's happening here is the psalmist is actually, he's either literally or he's figuratively using this as uh, a picture of the soul, but he may be literally so far away from Jerusalem uh, where the temple sits on top of the Temple Mount, uh, which is God's holy hill. He's way up north, northeast of the Sea of Galilee, near Mount Hermon, from whose uh, slopes flow the source of the Jordan River. So if I'm going to do a Jim Suddeth again here. So here we go. Uh, let's, you know, here's the Dead Sea. The Jordan River goes up to the Sea of Galilee. If this is the Dead Sea, then Jerusalem's about right here. Well, the psalm writer is way up there, northeast of the Sea of Galilee, uh, where the headwaters of the Jordan begin. The temple is way down here. I think it's about 100 miles away. Um, so that's where this feeling of being far away from God, and, and he's remembering what it was like to be in God's presence and longing to be back there again. So let me ask you this question. When it comes to your own personal worship, your time with God, I think it's good to ask yourself, am I feeling distant from the presence of God? And then talk to him about it. Ask all these questions in his presence. Um, the psalmist distance was both physical and spiritual. And then ours is too, really. Our, our distance from God is, is physical. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we long to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, he says. Um, there is a sense in which we're not physically near God, even though his spirit lives in our hearts. But there's also a spiritual distance that can uh, take place. So when it comes to your personal time with God, do you feel distant from him? Um, then the psalmist remembers and longs for a time when he not only experienced the presence of God and delighted to worship him personally, but he also experienced God's presence in community with God's people. He said in verse 4 of, of Psalm 42, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, 
how I would go with the throng, the congregation, and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Um, he's remembering times of worship together corporately with God's people. Uh, they would celebrate the festivals like Passover and First Fruits and Tabernacles. Um, so when it comes to corporate worship together, us being together and worshiping God, ask your soul, am I, am I longing to experience corporate worship in a way that I, I just haven't for some time? And it may be, yeah, it's, it's summer. I was just talking to some folks before. It's summer, and we're all going all over the place. And I've heard several of you say, ah, it's nice to be back in worship. Sometimes it's that, but then sometimes you could be right here and not feel connected to God or each other. Are you longing to experience God's presence in community with God's people in a way that you just haven't lately? So that's the first section of questions. Am I feeling far away from God? But then the psalmist asks this group of questions. Am I, am I cast down? Am I in turmoil? Am I mourning? Uh, Psalm 42.3, my tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever cried so much that your tears ran into your mouth? Have you ever been so fat, sad you just couldn't eat? And then, of course, in the chorus of this song, he asks, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Um, verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. It's possible that that cast down is a reference to how sheep get cast and they fall over and they can't get up. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like there's turmoil? Just a whirlpool of yuck going on in your soul? In verse 7, he says, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. A couple of weekends ago, uh, Anna and Micah and Christine and I went hiking. And by mistake, we went all the way down to Julia Falls. Mercy. I thought I'd never get back out of there. But anyway, I watched Anna and Micah playing in the waterfall. They went over across the little pond and tried to sit in the waterfall. And I watched both of them. They couldn't do it. For very long because the pressure of the water coming down on top of them was so heavy so strong they couldn't stay up under it do you feel that way are you overwhelmed and you're just not sure you can stay up under it anymore all your breakers and your waves have gone over me are you mourning about something so here are some questions in that category. Are you, are you experiencing feelings of sadness or loss? Or this, are, are you bored with God or with his people? Are you lacking motivation or enthusiasm to live the Christian life? 
Has your passion for loving and serving God weakened or gone away? Do you sometimes feel like you're going through the motions in worship or in your relationships with other Christians? Do you sometimes just want to throw in the towel and give this Christianity thing up? Do you feel overwhelmed like you're drowning and you just keep getting knocked down wave after wave? The psalmist can relate. The next section of questions, am I feeling attacked, accused, or abandoned? He says in uh, verses 3 and 10 of 42, they say to me all day long, where is your God? And then he says, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. There, there's these outside of us external attacks and accusations. Are you feeling those? Do you have flesh and blood enemies? Do you have people who taunt you because of your relationship with God? I have a quote-unquote friend who every now and then sends me a message through Facebook. Just rakes me over the cold for being a stupid, idiotic Christian. And every time somebody out there in the Christian world does something, as we do, stupid or idiotic, Not every time, but I often get a message from the person. Did you see this? Sometimes it's flesh and blood people that attack or accuse. But we all do have spiritual enemies. Is the enemy of your soul whispering that age-old question to you? So where is God now? Huh? Where is your God? Look, look at this. Look at this. Look what's going on in your life. Look what's going on in the world. Look what's going on in your friend's life. Where's God? Probably the devil's favorite question. Where is he? Did he really say? But then there's internal enemies in verse 42. I mean, Psalm 42, 9 the psalmist says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? In 43.2, he says, you're the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? So are you experiencing feelings of abandonment inside your soul? Is your soul essentially asking the same question that your enemies are asking? Where is God? Where are you, God? When you read in God's Word about God's sovereignty over all circumstances, or you hear people talk about His love in spite of all that's happening in your life, or they quote to you Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Does that irritate you? Does it anger you? Have you gotten to a place where you just have a, yeah, right, attitude? 
Are you cynical? Before God, admit it. The psalmist did. And the last big question, category of questions is, am I craving Christ? And this seems to be what a lot of the psalm is about. It starts, uh, Psalm 42 starts with, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Have you ever been so thirsty that you, you panted? That you just, I've got to have something to drink. Or have you ever been so hungry that you just thought, I've, I've got to have something to eat? Has your soul ever felt that way for God? Have you ever asked the question, question, when shall I come and appear for God? In other words, when can I get to be with God? When can, I, when can I get to church on Sunday morning? When can I get some time alone with my Bible and be with God and prayer and, and reading His Word? When can I get together with my fellowship group and just be with God's people and pray and, and rest in God's presence? He's, he's confessing his own craving for God. So I have to ask myself, am I hungering and thirsting for God? And, and how do I know? How, how do I know I am? How aware am I, am I of my appetite for God? And then how aware am I of my craving for God? And do I see myself possibly taking that craving somewhere else? The little G God. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. But I tend to take my thirsty soul to a lot of dead gods. I know that the tendency of my flesh, the sinful me first part of me, will always be prone to wander to other sources of satisfaction. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 13 say this, and this is probably one of the richest explanations of sin that are in the Bible. God says through Jeremiah, My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. He's their glory. And then he, he says to all creation, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have first forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So they've turned away from the only true source of satisfaction, and they've expended all of their energy and resources into digging wells that won't hold water. So I, I think the psalmist's craving for Christ, for for God uh, makes me want to ask, where am I taking my soul's hunger and thirst? Into which wells am I dipping the bucket of my heart? And I just, I just wrote a whole list of, of wells that are out there. Some of these are mine, some of these aren't. You can ask me later which is which. But here's a list for you. 
of little g gods that I look to for satisfaction. Food, drink, lust, whether it be visual or emotional, work, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, MySpace, I don't know. (laughs) Never mind. Surfing the net in all kinds of ways. Television, movies, video games, sports, or if you're like me and you can't really play a sport, you like to watch them. Uh, Music, exercise, diet, busyness, uh, my children, my accomplishments, my community involvement or service, my political party or policies or platform that I favor, my involvement in the church, my friends, my family, my hobbies, my stuff, my money, and on and on and on. Those are all optional wells that we like to run to. And then the question becomes, so what am I hoping to find in the bottom of that well? Because it's not just those things that I'm after. I'm after those things because they promise me something else. And, And so are any of these things at the bottom of these wells that you and I tend to dip the buckets of our hearts, comfort, security, identity, meaning, just plain old pain relief, power, acceptance. I think what I'm really looking for down there is what the Bible calls salvation. I'm looking for something to save me from whatever hell I think I'm experiencing now. But the Bible says that hell is being eternally separated from an unhindered, free, and loving relationship with the living God. Not not being eternally separated from the presence of God because the presence of God that those in hell will experience is the presence of God in his wrath against their sin. But real hell is the presence of God's wrath and the absence of God's present love and relationship as our Father. And yet I think hell is something else I need to be saved from. Like not feeling good. So my question for myself and for all of us is, how are those wells working for us? Are they delivering on their promise? Okay. All right, Jimmy, enough of this examining my soul, tired of the navel gazing, can we get on with the rest of the sermon? (laughs) Yes. But I don't want you to miss the opportunity that the Psalms give us to really examine our hearts, to really see who we are, where we are, what we are, when we come into the presence of God. All of this introspection that this psalmist shares has a purpose. And uh, the purpose is to uncover what my heart craves so that I can discover the Christ that I was made to crave. So in Psalm 43, verses 3 to 4, he says this. 
he cries out to God and he says, send out your light and your truth. It's dark here. There's lies here. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Where? Let them bring me to your holy hill. So that's the temple mount in Jerusalem. And to your dwelling. That's the temple. Then I will go to the altar of God, which is inside the temple. To God, my exceeding joy. Ah, that's the fountain of living waters. God, my exceeding joy. The Hebrew is my joy of all joys. And then I will praise you, O God, my God. So this man's honest examination of the state of his soul led him to cry out to God to come and carry him and his craving to the only place it could be satisfied, and that is the presence of God. But you've got to go through the altar of God to get the presence of God. Why? Why the altar? Because the altar is where the sacrifice for sin was made so that sinful people like me could be free to fully enjoy the presence of God. My exceeding joy. Because what ultimately separates us distances us from God is our sin. It's the essence of sin to forsake God, the fountain of living waters, and turn to other gods as sources of satisfaction. So the altar for us on this side of the cross in the tomb is the altar is the cross. And the sacrifice for sin is Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus is proof that God wants to be near us. He loves us. He's provided a way for us to know and experience him as our exceeding joy. It's proof and a promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so this is why Psalm 42 and 43 are such a great model prayer for us. Because sometimes prayer is simply a cry to Jesus asking him to carry you and your craving to the cross. And so I wrote this down. I want to read it because I don't want to miss it. If this is true, then I'm asking us together as a church to examine our hearts and then to do this. Cry out to Jesus, who left the presence and experience of the glory of heaven for sinners like you and me. He was distant from God so that we could be close to him. Cry out to Jesus, the man of sorrows, who knew the agony of living as a human in a broken world, whose soul was cast down under the pain of punishment for sins he never committed, who was so overwhelmed by the anguish of his soul that he sweat drops of blood the night before he gave himself for me and you. Cry out to Jesus, who was taunted by both physical and spiritual enemies his entire life, and unjustly so. And as he hung on the cross, they mocked him and said, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if, he, if God wants him. And then even Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even though you and I have forsaken him, the spring of living waters, Jesus was forsaken for us so that we would not be, for, be forsaken by God forever. Cry out to Jesus 
the only source who can satisfy the thirst of your soul, who hung on a cross and experienced a thirst that should have been ours, who drank the cup that should have been ours, who cried out, I thirst, so that our thirst would be satisfied forever. Come to the one into whose side a spear was driven, from which flowed the only water and blood that could ever quench the cravings of your heart and mind. Cry out to Jesus, who calls out to all who would hear him, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Come to me and drink, because the scripture has said, if you would, out of your heart would flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit. And so, after all the introspection, (laughs) examining your heart, then exhort your heart to hope in God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote Spiritual Depression that I told you about, is famous for commenting on this psalm. Uh, This is what he says. He says, have you realized, and if you didn't know, he was a British medical doctor, um, in the, around the 50s, 1950s, who uh, became a preacher. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? No, this is no Oprah-type thing. Keep listening. He says, take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc., Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. That was me at 4 a.m. this morning. And then referring to Psalm 42, he says, Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. He goes on, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has has pledged himself to do. Then, having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself. Defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this psalmist, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You might think that he's saying, get a hold of yourself. Absolutely not. He's not even saying, get a hold of God. He's saying, remember, God's got a hold of you. Thanks be to God, God's got a hold of me when I've got no grip left on him. Thanks be to God. Because of Jesus... I can have hope when it all seems hopeless. 
Now, you may not need this right now. You may be in a situation where, hey, you're living the dream. Things are going well. But I promise you, one day you're going to need these psalms. As uh, Evie Hill was famous for saying, you know, if, if living the dream, if that's true in your experience, keep on living. Winter may be coming. I will have these in the back for those who want them. Um, please take them. Father, thank you. Thank you for placing in us a craving for Christ. Um, and thank you for making it impossible to satisfy it in anyone or anything but you so that we continually get frustrated by our pursuits um, and by our dipping our hearts in wells that don't hold water. Thank you for providing uh, the way that hungry and thirsty sinners like me can come and fill up on Christ. This table is that place. We ask now that your spirit would come and that you'd set aside this bread and this cup from their normal everyday use and help us to feed and drink of you by faith this morning. Help us to bring our craving to Christ and say, forgive me for going to all the other places. I need you to be my exceeding joy. Would you let this table be for your people a taste and a reminder that although we have just the hors d'oeuvres now, there is a banquet coming where one day we will completely and utterly be satisfied in Christ forever. But we can start to taste it now. Do that in us as we gather. In Jesus' name, amen.